Hello there, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Games That Made Me podcast, personal reflection on a life spent gaming. I'm your host, Brendan Kelly. Thank you for deciding to tune in and give this podcast a try. I appreciate the company as I embark on a personal journey through my own gaming history, from my childhood in the fabulous 80s all the way up to the present day. In this podcast, I'll share the video games that have had the biggest impact on my life and explore the reasons behind why they were so influential. In last week's episode, I talked about the major gameplay elements found within the JRPG Nino Kuni and the Wrath of the White Witch. Specifically, we looked at exploration, combat, monster taming and raising, side quests, and alchemy. In this episode, I will be focusing on the factors that set Nino Kuni apart from other games, why I consider it to be one of my favorite games of all time, and the reasons why I keep coming back to this game. And before I get deep into the nitty gritty of Nino Kuni's story, I just want to put this out as a disclaimer for anybody who has not had the pleasure of playing through Nino Kuni's story. There are major story spoilers in this particular episode that are coming right up after this message. So please go ahead and fast forward to the six minute mark to skip the upcoming story spoilers. So the first reason that I keep coming back to the game Nino Kuni and playing through it so many times is the story. And I mentioned this a couple episodes ago when I talked about how this was one of the only JRPGs I've played in which I was on the edge of my seat with the story the first time through. I needed to know if it really was going to be possible for Oliver to save his mom in this magical other world. To me, that is the powerful thing about Nino Kuni's story. On the surface, it appears to be your typical JRPG fair. Oliver learns he is the pure-hearted one, the one who is destined to save the other world from the game's main antagonist. Shadar. But if you go deeper than that, what you figure out over the course of playing through Nino Kuni's story is that it's not just another story about the triumph of good over evil. It's also an extremely heartfelt story of a young boy who's devastated by the untimely death of his mother, who agrees to journey to the other world in the hopes of being reunited with his mother. For me, that was a story element that kept me engaged in the narrative. Would it be possible for Oliver to do what we all wish we could do when a loved one passes on? Would he get the chance to be reunited with his mom? The first time I played through this game, I'm not gonna lie, I was extremely disappointed when I realized that Oliver would not, in fact, be reunited with his mother. After all, it seemed like a big waste of time to journey to another world, vanquish the evil threat, be the story's hero, only to go back home without having been successful in your main objective from the start, which was saving your mother. But it wasn't until subsequent playthroughs that I realized that the game's story was more of a metaphor. The other world exists only in Oliver's imagination, a safe place far from the real world with its harsh and uncomfortable truths. Oliver's entire journey into the other world, befriending his companions, 
the various adventures he undertakes to help others, all serve to reinforce the notion that Oliver is actively working through his own grief in much the same way children all over the world do. They dive deep into their imaginations in an attempt to cope with a harsh reality by actively constructing their own safe space. This is especially evident in the numerous quests throughout the game that ask the player to mend someone's broken heart by restoring the missing piece of their heart, as this mirrors exactly what Oliver is in need of doing with his own broken heart after the death of his mother. Another idea that supports this is that his other world is composed of doppelgangers, of all the people and animals from his own world. That was a pretty big giveaway in my mind. Oliver is forced to grow up and mature pretty quickly after his mother's unexpected passing, and by the time you reach the game's ending, we see Oliver transformed. He's not the innocent, naive, grieving boy that we met at the game's beginning. He truly does grow up. He comes to terms with the harsh truth that his mother, as much as he might wish it otherwise, is gone, and it's up to him to live the rest of his life the best way that he knows how. His adventure, the whole story of this game, is what gave him the tools that he needed to work through his grief, and to not let it control his life and consume him. Unlike both Queen Cassiopeia, and Shadar, who both serve the purpose of showing what can happen to a person if they let their grief and anger consume them. Besides the fantastic story of this game, another reason I keep coming back to this title is the creature collecting. There are just so many different creatures to collect and tame. The overall creature design is on par with the heavy hitters of the genre, such as Pokemon. While not all creatures are created equal, the sheer abundance of them, and the fact that most players are unlikely to obtain all of them in a single playthrough is all the more reason that I come back to this game for multiple playthroughs. The first time I played through this game, I pretty much stuck to keeping my Thumbelemur and my Might in my party for the whole game. So basically, the two out of the three familiars that you receive at the beginning of the game, I just kept them in my party. On subsequent playthroughs, I love to switch it up. I ditch the initial familiars the game gives you as soon as I'm able to obtain new ones. I find that switching out your familiars regularly helps to breathe new life into the game and can substantially change your experience with the game. The game world is incredibly amazing in Nino Kuni. I am a sucker when it comes to gorgeous, colorful, animated game worlds. Nino Kuni's world sticks out in my memory as one that I would genuinely want to live in and experience for myself. The cutscenes make you feel like you're watching a cartoon on television. They're that well animated. The graphics, even in the non-HD Nintendo Switch version of the game, are jaw-droppingly gorgeous. It is simply the closest I have ever come in gaming to feeling like I am playing through a living, breathing cartoon. The world of Nino Kuni also stands out to me as a great example of a fantastical RPG world that hits all the right notes for me. Of course, just like many other RPGs, it has various biomes, which we've talked about before, including ones that you would traditionally expect. Your deserts, your grasslands, your forests, and your perpetually snow-covered vistas. But where it truly shines is in its inclusion of unique environments, 
such as the Pig Iron Plain, a landscape filled with the scars of an industrial past. The Tombstone Trail, a haunted cemetery trail that winds up a mountain. And Perdida, a town hidden away in the mountains, accessible only by air, that borrows heavily from the Inca of South America. The fourth reason I keep coming back to this title is just simply the sheer amount of things that there are to do. One of the most difficult things to accomplish in Nino Kuni is to actually complete your creature compendium all the way to 100%. That means you have to not only tame every familiar, but you also have to unlock some creatures that are only obtainable through metamorphosis. It's a lot more than it sounds. You can seek out every single treasure chest in the game, both those located in every single dungeon you encounter and all of those hidden on the world map. You can tackle a variety of side quests and test your party's metal by completing bounty hunts. Every good RPG has more than one final boss to contend with, and this game doesn't disappoint. Your main antagonist, Shadar, and two hidden ones, Queen Cassiopeia, and the post-game, Guardian of the Worlds. You can also alchemize to your heart's content, and we touched on this briefly in the previous episode. It literally does take hours on end to obtain the rarest of the rare items to create the best weapons, armors, and accessories for your characters through alchemy. You can battle your way through the ranks of the Solosium for valuable money and prizes. There's even an in-game casino where you can amass a fortune of chips by trying your luck at several different games, and you can trade them for very useful rewards. And so to reiterate, it's just the sheer variety and amount of things that there is to do. When I get tired of capturing creatures, I go hunt treasure chests. When I get tired of seeking out treasure chests, I tackle some side quests. The fifth reason why I keep coming back to this game is the Wizard's Companion. For those that are unfamiliar, the Wizard's Companion is such an incredible asset to the world of Nino Kuni because it immerses the player into its world. The Wizard's Companion is massive. It is 340 pages that contains every alchemy recipe, all pieces of equipment obtainable, every item and provision to be found, information on all the creatures and familiars that you encounter throughout the game, maps of every location, and information on every single region of the world, and an entire chapter devoted to 12 unique fairy tales which the game calls Tales of Wonder, that take place in the world of Nino Kuni and relate to the lore of the world. When you start the game, you discover that the wizard's companion is missing a lot of these pages. So as you progress in the game, you are able to discover more of its missing pages, so that by the end of the game, a true completionist will have a great sense of accomplishment that comes with having found and completed the entire Wizard's Companion. Now, those lucky enough to have purchased a physical copy of the special edition for this title, called the Wizard's Edition, this is for Nino Kuni for the PlayStation 3, are given an actual physical copy of the Wizard's Companion, which is absolutely amazing for fans of this game. But for those who don't want to shell out that much money for a rare collector's edition, the entirety of the Wizard's Companion is included with every copy of the game in digital form and can be accessed from the menu at any time. 
When I was creating the show notes for this particular episode, I almost completely left out one of the main draws when it comes to this game for me, which is the music. Joe Hisashi scored the game's soundtrack. He is a very prolific Japanese composer who is probably best known for his soundtracks to such Studio Ghibli anime classics as Howl's Moving Castle, My Neighbor Totoro, and Spirited Away, among many others. In my opinion, the main theme song for Nino Kuni is simply amazing. The main theme song is able to convey both a sense of hopefulness and lightheartedness, which is at the core of Nino Kuni, while also reinforcing the seriousness of what's at stake in Oliver's world. On par with my love for the main theme song is the music you hear while traversing the world map, which is also known as Kokoro no Kakera, Pieces of a Broken Heart in English. On the original soundtrack, which you can purchase, you are able to listen to both the Japanese and English renditions And finally, the seventh reason, if I'm counting correctly, that I keep coming back to Nino Kuni and I love it so much, is how you can switch it up on subsequent playthroughs of the game. Think of a video game that is one of your personal favorites. Do you stop playing that game once you have beaten the game or played through all of the major plot points? Chances are you don't. You come back to the game time and time again, just like I find myself doing with Nino Kuni. Sometimes I just want to escape to a colorful world, one whose story I may know well, but I never get tired of playing through. Why do I not get bored of Nino Kuni? The secret for me is in the monster catching and taming mechanic. On subsequent playthroughs, I like to switch it up with what familiars I keep in my active party, so that in this way, the game can feel quite different from one playthrough to the next. And this is where the low monster catch rate actually work in the game's favor. Imposing arbitrary rules, such as only keeping the first monster you tame in an area in your party, or permanently letting a familiar go if it faints in battle, can help to keep the experience fresh. Not to mention switching up the order in which I complete the tasks of the game. Trying to tackle the majority of alchemy so as not to leave so much for the post-game is another way in which I have changed up my approach to this game. And making sure to continuously customize the stats of my familiars through feeding them treats instead of waiting until the post-game in order to do this. And that does it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to all the reasons why Nino Kuni is one of my favorite games of all time. I hope you will join me next week when I will cover the major disappointments in Nino Kuni, because despite all the love and praise that I have for this game, there are several areas that I think it could improve on. In the meantime, please feel free to visit my website at www.thegamesthatmademe.com. You can also start up a conversation with me by sending me a message at thegamesthatmademe at gmail.com. I would love to hear your thoughts about Nino Kuni and your own personal experiences with this game. Until next time, I hope you lose yourself in an amazing video game or two. Take care.